A Call to Adventure, hosted by Alexopoulos and John Duckworth. An exploratory conversation about facing the unknown, an opportunity to discuss those pivotal moments that illuminate new paths and reveal deeper purpose and meaning in our lives. Well, uh, here we are today. We are talking to Buff Ross, good friend of both Alex and I's, who um, runs his own company, All One Word Design, out of his office downtown Charleston, and lives in Sullivan's Island with his wife, Leela, sons, Jack and Barlow, and a couple of uh, crazy dogs. Yes. What, what kind of dogs are those again? Uh, Catahoula curs. That's uh, right. And they're, they're feral and wild and uh, interesting. They're, 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 they're <laughs> I remember hand, that. They're a handful. Yeah. Yeah. And they're getting better. They're getting better. We got, we got a little cat around there, too. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, nitty-gritty urban kitty. How did the uh, uh, nitty-gritty urban kitty? Yes. Perfect. Um, we are We're going to start off every, every show with a series of questions that we're going to ask everybody the same thing. So um, we'll go ahead and just start with those then. And, sure. And Alex is going to kick it off. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Buff. I really oh, appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, I've, I've, one of the things that's obviously shaken our city over the past month has been sort of the events around Mother Emanuel. And one of the things I've drawn out of that is just how inspired I've been by the city's reaction, you know? Um, so one of my first questions is when you think locally, and not specifically to that incident, but who, who do you find locally that you draw inspiration from? Well, uh, you know, I think... If we're talking just specifically about that event, too, just to give you some reflections that I had uh, on that that then ties back around to people that I do uh, admire a lot here. But, you know, I was you know very impressed with all the different types of reactions that people had. I was fascinated with the way that uh, social media became a hub of expression. Um, the There's a Quaker tradition of talking to the center, and I think that... You know, I've done some presentations uh, about uh, the idea of grief uh, and grieving through social media, oh, and right. I thought it was really interesting to see it on a collective uh, sense there, uh, that it became this well for grief, and then you know ultimately some actions, and then that have then grown into you know tangible world as well. Um, you know, I thought you know I came back that morning and ended up doing a, a piece that I put out on uh, Facebook. And it's a beautiful then, piece. Oh, yeah, thank you. Really yeah. And it yeah. was, you know, I just felt this palpable sense of the, you know, whole community was in shock and tears and crying and that, you know, made me and I saw that come out of so many other people ended up doing things like that and expressions and I think people still are, you know, I think it's an interesting kind of moment of, uh, you know, shock and how we reacted and then now how we're all, you know, collectively processing it and Seems hopefully. Overall, I was just inspired by the whole, the entire city, the way, yeah. as a city, we reacted to that uh, event. N no, definitely. And, and, and let's, you know, certainly hope that it, you know, ends up transpiring into, you know, more collective action. I think that yeah. what it did reveal in this city is that we live in a pretty, you know, isolated, uh, you know, from our different communities. I think, you know, it's uh, socially segregated uh, in ways that, you know, we were passively allowing um, right. that hopefully will be confronted a little bit coming out of that. I agree. And then one of my, you know, you asked me, you know, people that I admire a lot. And, you know, one of the pieces that I saw come out of there that I loved was Gil Schuler's. Mm -hmm. uh, he's one of my, you know, professional heroes. I, yeah. I love that. Uh, he's able to, you know, constantly come up with incredible ideas and creative thought, uh, run a business that's highly successful and run it on a level that he wants to run it on. And yeah. that's what I aspire to do uh, within my own business uh, without, you know, having to become a giant studio or... He seems to have a good time, too. And yes, <laughs> and, and, you know, he, he does know how to have a good time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then you also mentioned uh, uh, Mark Sloan. Certainly. He's been one of the most important uh, people in my life outside of my parents. Uh, we initially met in the late 90s when I came back to Charleston from uh, Salt Lake City, Utah, and was looking for something to do in life uh, other than I'd been a, a cook. Uh, you know, I can't quite call myself a chef back then, but I was running a yes, kitchen. Yes, you can. I've had that food before. And, <laughs> yeah, right. and, uh, but I knew that wasn't my you know destiny professionally. And I started taking classes in education, thinking I might become a teacher, 
and I had a, a, a bachelor degree in archaeology and quickly after working on a couple digs out west knew that the process of finding wasn't really my, the most exciting thing to me but that maybe that I, it was more about the idea of presentation. And, you know, this actually is, wasn't communicated in our emails, but, you know, I will say that one of the, you know, maybe calls uh, for that, you know, I still so vividly remember as a child going into the old museum, the one that burned, uh, that used to be set up like, you know, more like a cabinet of curiosities where that you'd come in under the whale, but there was also, you know, open cabinets of all sorts of artifacts and, my, you know, I talked to my mother about that a lot, and she happened to be Mark's neighbor, and huh. she's like, it's not a, you know, history museum, but, you know, our friend uh, runs the Halsey Institute at the College of Charleston. It was the Halsey Gallery at that time, right. and so I started volunteering uh, there for him. Uh, he turned it into a, a paid job, and then I, and then he pushed me out of the nest and told me I probably needed to pursue a master's degree uh, in museum studies, which is what I ended up doing. Oh, that's wild. I didn't yeah. know that. I didn't know the background of that story. That's yeah. great. That's wild. And it makes sense. I didn't know that you had a bachelor's in archaeology, which the way that you are insatiable in your curiosity and digging into everything, you know, figuratively and yeah. li and, and and of course literally in the past, but it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I think I also, uh, you know, even back to a touch point for that, uh, as a child growing up on Sullivan's Island, uh, we, I don't know whether it was from past hurricanes, but found Union occupation belts under our house, mm. uh, all sorts of artifacts. And, you know, I think that's what kind of led me to that in college, as well as uh, fascination with Native Americans. Guy, a question for you. And, you know, when I think about Charleston, going back to sort of Charleston and being inspired by the city, and you think about Charleston as a, as a person, um, how, how would you describe him or her? You know, in thinking about that question, uh, you know, at first I was, you know, drawn to the idea of it's the Southern lady, um, you know, and I think that does, you know, belie a little bit of the, the kind of politeness, uh, which, you know, can also be a little saccharine, right. uh, that we were talking about. I, th I think that this is unveiled a little bit, uh, the manual shooting. Um, but uh, when I came back to it, I, I decided it was the daughter of a, an old Southern belle because we are at a point in our history where, you know, we're having to change, we're having to face being part of, uh, you know, the greater world. And I think it's, you know, for the imminent good of the city, we finally have a real economy. So I, I feel like it's a, a woman who like respected her mother a lot, grew up uh, revering her, uh, now questions some of the, you know, that Southern Belle syndrome and whether or not, you know, that, you know, is, is not truthful enough. And, you know, I think that she's finding her voice while still uh, honoring that past. Yeah, I like that. That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, along those lines, um, when we're uh, asking about um, things like what book currently is on your nightstand. Um, I, I really was interested in that particular line of uh, line of investigation that you're going down right now. Yeah, the the two books. Uh, one that I uh, just recently finished and then went back to uh, read a couple different parts after the manual shooting is called "The Mind of the New South" by Tracy Thompson. Um, and I actually originally found her through a really powerful essay that she wrote uh, in The Bitter Southerner called Dixie is Dead. It was about five or six months ago. And for Dig South last year, I was uh, hosting a panel with Chuck Reese, uh, who's the founder and chief editor of The Bitter Southerner. And so I started reading back through a lot of the old pieces there and, and he kept referencing her a lot in this one book. Mm -hmm. So I ordered the book to prepare for it, but became fascinated with it. Uh, she has, uh, and the essay that I particularly went back and rewrote during, uh, reread during the flag controversy was called The Big Lie, and it, and it was summarized in a Washington Post article that she wrote a couple years later that uh, was shared a lot on, on social media, but about how the Daughters of the Confederacy really shaped the, the history that we were told growing up as Southerners here about ourselves and about the, the Confederacy, and that's a fascinating one. Uh, the, she's got an incredible essay about uh, Atlanta and the history of Atlanta and its importance in the civil rights movement, oh, yeah. but as a truly, you know, much more, hum, you know, less homogenous city than, than here. I actually went through Atlanta this year in January on Martin Luther King Day uh -huh. and saw an incredible exhibition at the High Museum, and, and it, was, it was really impacting. I mean, because that city is, I was reading somewhere, and, they, and it was referenced as 
the black mecca, yeah. Atlanta. And it's, you know, the home of Martin Luther King and, and really the home of the civil rights movement. Well, and I've said for years after just going to Atlanta and having friends that work there and you feel a much more palpable social equality there than I, I felt yeah. like even in San Francisco where it's more of a bouillabaisse of every, mm-hmm. you know, culture that, you know, you, you feel uh, black culture there in a way that I, I don't feel in any other city. That's I've true. never spent any time yeah. in Detroit or some other places mm-hmm. that probably exemplify that as well. Um, but I think it's kind of fascinating uh, with that. My other favorite factoid that, that's in that chapter uh, was that the original name of Atlanta was Terminus. Um, really? And, yes, because it was it was a termin, you know, terminating point on the railroad when it was originally founded. Um, and I thought that that was, you know, and she does a good job of exploring the relationship Atlanta has with the rest of the South, because I think that we all, especially, you know, from the seat in Charleston, where we've always looked down our nose at Atlanta and think about Atlanta, I could never live there. And, you know, and I think throughout the whole South has that kind of relationship with Atlanta, and yet Atlanta's the, one of the chief economic engines uh, for, you know, the growth in the South. So I think it's an interesting duality uh, that, you know, exists there. Terminus, that's (laughs) interesting. But, um, but the whole book is a great read. Uh, it's, it's just essays. Uh, and, and it's the new mind of the South. And you mm-hmm. said that was a sort of, uh, her response to a gentleman named Wilbur J. Cash and, and his book, The Mind of the South. Yeah, which was a much more controversial book in, like, 1941, I think okay. it was released, um, which I have not read. But, oh, okay. uh, but it, you know, I've actually subsequently gone back and at least done the wiki uh, version of, of that book. And, Fair enough. You know, and she talks a lot about the shifting demographics of the South. And I think that's why I was attracted to it, because as someone who returned to Charleston uh, 10, well, actually, uh, 14 years ago, uh, I've been fascinated with the change that I found in, you know, my home and how different it is uh, than it was when I left it. Uh, and so I think what sh- she's talking about is the broader changes in the South. And she talks about like salad neighborhoods in Atlanta where you go to a shopping uh, center and it'll be a Nigerian and Thai and everything together oh, okay. because our our y- growth in that way is coming at such a new time that people aren't necessarily cordoned off into certain neighborhoods. And that was one of the other interesting points of that. Well, um, did you want to? Uh, well, you, you mentioned because you devour content, and I, you know, you read and, and podcast and uh, music, and uh, I'm I'm curious as to how you are finding all the different mediums and what you find most attractive today. You know, I, I'm right about podcasting. I, to to me, that's one of the the deepest you know, places are places that I go deep with a lot of different things. Uh, I'm currently obsessed with On Being. Uh, uh, there's another one, The Moth, uh, which is about storytelling live and how personal people get through that. It's incredible. But I also just like the, the ones where it's, it's interviews. And I, I think, you know... Mark Maron. Yeah, Mark Maron, certainly. Uh, you know, I think what happens in those conversations is you get, you know, an hour in, there's no breaking for commercials and that you have a different, different type of experience. And I thought that was certainly true in the Obama and Mark Maron, uh, interview. I thought that was one of the most real experiences. I had our real, uh, human, uh, expressions I'd heard from Obama where it's you- really interesting because that was the first thing that Bay said after that interview. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, Bay's my 10-year-old my son who's in the corner right now reading <laughs> a book. And he said, wow, I really feel like I know him so much better after that interview. Yeah, I thought it was a really important piece. And I don't know, I, I would be interested, they never really got into why they picked him as the person to go to, uh, to have this, you know, conversation. And maybe they just knew it and they'd heard it in other interviews but that he did get lost in that conversation yeah. in a reality that went way beyond, you know, sound bites and right. the, the other ways that we usually... I mean, talking uh, about his hoops game. Consume, like, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to be that guy on the court anymore that, yeah. that people don't want, don't want on the court with them. Well, they, so. they, ta- they talked about that because the producer of the show thought that the White House would want the, Mark to come to the White House. And, mm-hmm. and they, the staff at the White House said, no, if we're going to do the show, we want to do it in your garage and I think it was an attempt and successful to try to personalize you know who he is as a president it was certainly is a wonderful podcast for those who haven't listened to it yeah and uh, yeah I think I, I've been drawn to podcasting it's interesting my mother was a, a potter and she used to listen to books on tape back when you would get them you know on the actual eight 
cassettes from uh, Washington, D.C., and you had to mail them back. And whenever we'd take family vacations, we'd listen to books on tape. Um, and she worked uh, all day by herself, so that was her form of entertainment. And even though I have uh, other employees, uh, they all have to get on board. And uh, we found ones that we all have common uh, likes, too. But it's just for me, it's also the rhythm of the workday. That's the right. soundtrack to your yeah. office, to yeah. your workday. Yeah. Unless, unless I'm trying to write, then I have to listen to music because uh, I, I start writing down what they're saying. Well, speaking of music, that's a good segue. Yeah. What, what, we've got, uh, what are you listening to right now? Right this, you know, second, I'm trying to get, uh, we go to the Newport Folk Festival every year, and so I'm trying to get my chops up on some of the people I haven't listened to a whole lot, like Leon Bridges. Well, his album just came out, and it's an incredible throwback uh, to kind of early soul. Uh, yeah. the, the, he, he's been, you know, great. You know, my biggest kind of musical loves are anything that sounds like the band, um, and that leads to, like, the Felice Brothers, the Gords, and other people that are some of my favorites out there, and then uh, the Faces. Uh, I, I had a strange affinity for Rod Stewart since I was a kid. Okay. Um, I think part of it has to do that there was about six... Uh, That's so fitting, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It is. Well, there, there was about six, uh, you know, albums that were, like, were the soundtrack to my childhood, which I've actually been talking about doing uh, a, a presentation of on a, another OM radio show. Show, just a plug for that. Uh, right on. But uh, one of them was uh, the the Every Picture Tells a Story Rod Stewart album, and my parents would uh, every Sunday we would clean the house, and my duty was always to sweep the porch, and we would play one like one of these like three or four albums: Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, uh, good South Carolina bluesman. Uh, you know, that one and a couple others that, you know, I never lost. Sunday Cleaning and Rod yes. Stewart. Which led yeah. me later in life to discover the faces and, okay. you know, which was, you know, very Rod Stewart driven and Steve Marriott heavy. Um, that uh, is, you know, my other, you know, kind of favorite ilk. And it's kind of early Stones he sounded too. And remind, r remind uh, uh, our listeners here about your, your top three favorite songs that you mentioned. Uh, let me try to remember which which I did mention. Uh, I think one was Isolda by Paul Birch, yep. and I think it's an incredible love song. Uh, forgotten, he's a South Carolinian as well. Okay. Uh, then it was uh, Blue by the Jayhawks, right. which is just a great you know friendship song. Uh, there's just something about the opening uh, salvo uh, for that one uh, that that just gets me every time. And then what was the third J. one? J.J. Kale. Oh, J. yeah, that, that's been a recent uh, obsession, which is, uh, um, uh, what's Things it? Ain't, ain't Simple. Things Ain't Simple yeah. Anymore, and I think that's more of a reflective, you know, it's, it's a really open poem that doesn't go into that much detail, but it's just got a, a beautiful carpet under it of sound, and then I think it's just, you know, middle age uh, and thinking about life, uh, and it doesn't seem simple anymore. Right. <laughs> It's so sad to say, talking about yesterday, all those good times are gone, the way we were was fun, always on the run.
You know, one of the uh, one of the things we really want to talk about with all of our guests uh, is sort of the the call to adventure, and you know that doesn't have to be a heroic call to adventure. It just you you referred to Mark sort of pushing you out of the nest, mm-hmm. and sort of having to. I think you went west. Um, yeah, I went to San Francisco and got a master's degree in museum studies, mm-hmm. and then that led me to you know one of the you know when you presented the question to me, it, it is hard to you know, feel like in the mundanity of what I do and in life to, you know, and also just the humbleness of it, not wanting to, you know, right. think about yourself as a hero. So that was, that, that was one thing I had to, I struggled with a little wrapping my mind around how to, you know, look at that. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, there's been a lot of adventures in life. So I think that was what the part that I kind of focused on more and what some of those seminal moments were. Um, you know, w- one of the most amazing, uh, you know, things to me that came out of when Mark sent me to uh, graduate school was I ended up curating an exhibition for the Gay and Lesbian Historical Society of uh, California. How does a Southern gentleman get that job? Uh, it was really just, uh, you know, something in me. Actually, I had my professor was gay and just thought I'd be perfect for the, saw the opportunity. Um, you know, I struggled a little bit whether or not to take it uh, just with the question of being a, you know, straight uh, white kid from the South, if I could tell nine different sub-community uh, stories. And these sub-communities were also kind of vastly different. Some of them were, you know, organized by, you know, racial lines. Uh, you know, some of them were organized by, you know, definitely, you know, self-identified, uh, you know, things like the leather community and the... Uh, um, the bears, which I didn't even know what a bear was at yeah, the right. time. Um, and I just struggled a little bit with, you know, how am I going to, you know, go in and be able to try to tell, you know, the, all these people's complex stories. Uh, you know, I'd just gotten to San Francisco. I didn't even really know the city that much. And it turned into one of the most important experiences of my life. Um, the, the exhibition ended up at the Castro Theater. And then uh, during Pride Parade, uh, was displayed at the um, the the city uh, civic center. Um, what 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 gave you the confidence to take on the role? Did you seek mentors or counsel, or did you just say I, I sort of I can't not do this? Or sort of walk us through where you. Well, a, your it, was a it was a hell of a lot more interesting than any of the other internships I saw people right. doing. Uh, which for some people's interests, it, it probably wasn't. I mean, a lot of people were doing cataloging at the de Young Museum, and those were the people that you know loved that. But to me, it just seemed like a really interesting opportunity. I, I you know, after just begging humility, I do have, uh, you know, a, a certain self-confidence that I can, you know, tackle most anything and, and also maybe a, a certain effort attitude that, you know, what's the worst thing that can happen too. Right. And, uh, you know. The, where, did, where did that emanate from? And, and I'd like to segue into the effort that you uh, yeah. did with uh John Calhoun and uh, your Pechicuchi. Oh yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot. Of course, uh, you giving know, Charleston the finger. Yeah, yeah right. after the, after the most recent thing. Uh, you know what I found in life is that you know when you do say you know just jump in uh, with both feet. That's uh, usually it's those are the best experiences, the the ones that you're most scared about. I also used to tell people all the time. You know, if you really want to do something, just tell so many people that right. you're, that you're gonna do it that it's more embarrassing to not do it. Um, That's great. Right. And uh, you know, set yourself up so you have to do it. Um, you know, I heard a comedian the other day saying, you know, someone was asking, you know, she was going through a, a, some kind of struggle in life, and she was thinking about getting divorced, and was asking. Uh, you know, presenting all her options of how to handle it. And uh, his answer to her was simply was, whichever one you are most uncomfortable with is probably the correct des- decision for you. And so do that one. Right. And, you know, the hardest, right. yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the way a lot of life is. A lot of it seems to be, certainly. Like, that's where the most potential for growth is, usually. And it's funny because that seems to be where people most often identify that as the place to stay 
clear away from. Sure. And 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 so honestly, that's one of the things that, that that we've talked about a lot is that you know whenever I feel that sort of moment coming on, I think, all right, well there it is. That's where I better be jumping because that's where that's where all the growth is. Because clearly, I'm that's something that uh, uh, holds a lot of interest to me, and there's a lot of rich material to dive into. So yeah. And then you just tell a lot of people, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just set yourself up where you yeah. cannot yeah. not do it. Right. So you're going to now tell a lot of people about what you fear next. Uh, no, I can't. But I do have something uh, on the horizon that I, I want to try in the next uh, couple months. Um, that we'll, we'll see. I, I'm not ready to. You're tell. not ready to go on right. air with no, that? I've right. only told one All person right. that okay. one so right. far. Right. But, <laughs> but, you know, I do think, you know, it's funny, you know, you also asked uh, when we were talking about this, you know, what are the, the opportunities that you've passed on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just went through one recently where, you know, I was offered a, a job and decided not to take it. Um, but it made me really re- reflective of all sorts of, you know, deci- you know, where I was at, you know, in a career. My biggest fear probably was, uh, you know, giving up the control over and going to work for in a big environment. Mm. Although I constantly struggle, you know, we're a small shop here in town about what the experience is like on the other side, working more collaboratively with people. Mm. And maybe it's because I'm an only child. I'm, I'm very comfortable, you know, flying solo and, you know, occasionally failing. Yeah, right. Is it uncomfortable to work in a big environment? I mean, is that something you want to go through, or is that just something you have I feel like I've, I've, I've lived fairly, or worked fairly, you know, for so long. E- even working at the Halsey back when I did, it was just Mark and I, and we worked as, you know, a cog in the wheel of the academia of the, the College of Charleston. But it was, it was, you know, it was really just him. And that's one of the beautiful things that I admire, what he's been able to do there is go out and, you know, prove it and, uh, you know, steer the ship the direction he wants to. I thought that was, you know, to bring it back a little bit around to the Obama thing, one of the most fascinating, you know, comments I thought that he brought out of that, you know, he was acknowledging everybody's questioning, you know, his ability, you know, the promises and the changes that never materialized. And he talks about he, how he couldn't even come in and, and hope to turn a ship that big 50 degrees. I really liked that analogy, too. And, yeah, um, really great visual metaphor. Yeah, yeah, and so I do think that, that, you know, while you give up, you know, certainly, you know, it's amazing to see what, you know, people can do collectively like that. I mean, we're sitting in a 14-story building, uh, you know, that you, you know, something like that takes such a team of people and so many moving parts. And yet, you know, I'm more, you know, again, I, I think maybe a lot of it has to do with being an only child. Uh, but, you know, I, I tend to love more, you know, trying to do as much as I can just, you know, on a small scale. And like to, to Obama's point, you know, you, you, you move the needle two degrees instead of 50. And, and quite honestly, after, after 10 years, you've, you've actually moved quite a bit away from where you were originally. And, and so it's, it's subtle, but, you know... As he was saying, you try to turn 50 degrees and the whole thing spills over. That's to that point, like, don't let perfect be the enemy of good, right? I mean, it's incremental yeah. incremental move in the right direction. Yeah, right, um, right, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about the word curiosity, because as, as I'm thinking about your confidence and where that comes from and, and, and how you are comfortable sort of jumping and taking on things... Curiosity probably plays a big part in that. Yeah, you know, and that's that's another thing I struggle with a little bit, you know, is, uh, you know, being driven a little too much by that, Uh, you know, but I've acknowledged this since I was young and, you know, you know, like all my friends that were surfers is like where I first noticed it, like that, that could give some of those people, that was the definition of their life in, in a great positive way and that they got so good at it. And it was such this like area of specificity uh, of expertise that, you know, for some reason I've always kind of gone the other way. Uh, some friends of mine had a publishing company called Dilettante Press, which I always just loved uh, that title. And the idea of the dilettante who's good at lots of things, but maybe not the world's expert at one. Um, and, you know, maybe that's also a defense mechanism uh, about, you know, how small we are and, you know, how sometimes, you know, we feel insignificant in the world. Well, you can go do a lot of things and then not feel like you've you know, you had to be the best, you know, at some certain element of that life. Um, but then it's also just, I just find myself, you know, interested. I think it's one of the, you know, traits that's most valuable, if I can impart, mm-hmm. you know, to my kids. I think it takes care of, you know, being good and, you know, being a successful academically. It takes care of, you know, being happy. I mean, I, I just can't imagine, 
you know, if you get to the point where you're not curious about all sorts of things and, you know, things that you don't even know yet, that, you know, certainly to me, you know, drives me moving forward. Right. I've always been described as easily distracted by bright, shiny objects. Exactly. So like, I think like, you're probably the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing Which I find I about the both of you, trout. Yeah. the both of you, though, although you're d- maybe distracted by lots of objects, your depth of knowledge of lots of objects is, is, uh, is pretty deep. Well, no, it, 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 yeah, and, it, you know, like I said, I, I've, I've just struggled with it personally. I'm happy with the path I've chosen and, right. and, and embrace it and, and embrace, the, you know, the fact Seems that... Seems natural. I mean, yeah. the, that, that I've always said that, generally speaking, uh, your, your, your best quality is also the one that challenges you the most, you know? So it can, mm-hmm. be, it can be such a great thing, and at the same time, it's, it's, it can be incredibly challenging at the same time. So, I mean, that, that insatiable curiosity leads you from, you know, archaeology to museum studies to running your own design business, mm-hmm. um, and at the same time, it can be frustrating because you have, you know, 10 other things you're thinking about as well. You don't dance to the music in the room, the smell of ginger, your perfume.
What if maybe this is along the same parallel, but what advice would you give to others out there that are sort of, you know, have a, a call or an adventure that they're sort of hesitating on? What would be the, the thoughts you would provide? Oh, yeah, I think it goes back to, 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 you know, you need to plan for it, but, you know, go ahead and do it. Uh, you know, you, I think there's very little, you know, in that realm in life that we look back and are, you know, truly disappointed. Right. Uh, you know, I think, you know, where the disappointment often lies is, not you know, doing it. Yeah, you didn't take that job with, you know, Zucker and, you know, college and look where you could have been and, you know, all those, you know, kinds of things uh, that, you know, are out there. Regrets um, in hindsight. Yeah, I think, re- you know, regrets are far, you know, to me, worse than failure. Mm-hmm. Um, any regrets that you have? I mean, we all have regrets. Yeah, 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 I feel like you wouldn't have lived if you if you don't uh, yeah. have, re- have regrets and that... Um, you know, not necessarily any of them that I would, I'd want to spill on the radio. Right, right. Uh, you know. If you weren't doing what you're doing right now, what would you be doing? If I w- I'd probably, you know, prefer to be, you know, the, the one thing that, you know, so I do have some regrets that I can talk about. Uh, you know, the one of the ones is, you know, you know, ended up leaving the Halsey uh, for a company out of Los Angeles doing services for museums, doing website development for museums, which was what I wanted to do. Uh, but I think that working within a museum doing that uh, would allow you the freedom and the, you know, creativity, uh, you know, the creative pool to work with in a way. Mm-hmm. And then things, you know, happen differently in life and there's no opportunities to do that specifically just for museums in Charleston. So I miss being, out, you know, outside of the museum world, uh, right. you know, yeah. even though I still have clients that are within that world. Uh, I miss, you know, daily being able to do that. And that's what I loved about... Uh, being a, a curator too is is that you could work on one subject and just you know talk take about a real deep dive yeah take into a it. deep dive and then right about the time uh, where you're starting to get bored with the banality of it uh, and you found the the bottom of the pool uh, you move Another on to something something along, else right? and that's yeah. why it was a good fit for me yeah yeah well it seems like you're still doing that with your with with your design work I would imagine you get involved oh definitely and and, and and it's it's problem solving it's the yeah. same uh, thing and how do I you know I guess the struggle I have is after doing this for so many years of uh, working for other people, I hope no clients are listening. Um, but, you know, so part of me is, you know, gets torn with, you know, you're, you're spending all your days and machinations uh, trying to help someone else realize their dream. And while that's really rewarding at, at certain elements and, you know, when we launch stuff uh, like the If You Were Mayor site, uh, with, which we did with Whitney Powers, which I think is really powerful, uh, important thing, you know, yeah. I, I, you know, rejoice and, and I'm happy. And that was, that was her, you know, concept and baby and not mine. Um, so at times that that's wonderful at other times, uh, you know, it can, you know, not, not feel unrewarding, but you have that same question. I think it's the same question I had, uh, as a restaurant server, uh, when I was saving money to go to graduate school, which I just finally wanted to look at people and say, why don't you, do you want to know what I want to drink? And so I, I feel a little bit, you know. That's when you know it's time to leave F&B. Yeah. And the wonderful yeah. thing about, you know, kind of controlling uh, this is I can find those outlets for myself, too, whether it's, you know, some yeah. na- nascent writing that I've been doing or, you know, the Pechacuchas and things like that that give me those rewards uh, yeah. as well as, you know, you know. By the way, that was a monumental Pechacucha. I mean, I think it, it's, it's uh, certainly infamous. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, the one at the cistern, we give Charleston the finger where you pulled up the, uh, the finger of J.C. Yeah. Calhoun. And, and, and I thought that, you know, it's, it's been... You need to dust that off, I think. Yeah, yeah. it's it yeah. really interesting, you know, thinking about that now. And, you know, that story that I wanted to tell, and it comes from my impetus uh, and interest in museums, and it's the power that an object uh, can tell, and then the fact that, you know, if you use your imagination, an object has all this history and story. Uh, one of my other heroes, uh, Roger Manley, who's a curator in North Carolina, made a movie about this, but we had the conversation driving through the Navajo country many, many years ago uh, about uh, the uh, Polynesians have a word called mana, uh, which is the power mm -hmm. an object has or the spirituality that, that an object can, could, could, you know, hold within it. Um, and so, you know, we just went to D.C. and seeing the, the actual table where the Civil War, you know, at Appomattox, where the, the piece was signed. I thought was you know fascinating, more fascinating than than seeing giant uh, you know Boeing airplanes and stuff. Just that that one huh. thing was there, yeah. and when you start to imagine that, and so when I used to take my classes when I taught at the College of Charleston through uh, the the museum, uh, the Charleston Museum, uh, we would look at all sorts of different objects in the collection, you know, many of which, you know, never see the light of day. And one of them, which uh, was John C. Calhoun's finger from the original statue. And, uh, you know, I think that's what's interesting is that's not even the original statue. Uh, the, you know, the original statue was built uh, down low and where it was hit by many tomatoes and fraught with all, without going through the entire speech again. Right, uh, right. You know, fraught with all sorts of stuff. But that's why it's up high, because it was derided back then. I mean, I think that's yeah. the important thing is that, you know, people are like, oh, it's just part of our history. But it's up high because it, you know. For so, a reason. Yeah, so it, it was disliked from the start. Yeah, so it can't, yeah. couldn't get yeah. hit by tomatoes. And he does have, he did have a strange finger. Yes. It bent sideways. Yes, and that finger is in the Charleston Museum, and they yeah. subsequently, you know, bulldozed over that, or didn't bull have bulldozers at that time, but got rid of the original statue. Uh, one of the women said that, you know, it should be buried on top of the sculptor because there was, there was issues with oh, art, really? the artistic interpretations <laughs> uh, that, that they did. He had a naked muse behind him that everybody, it was supposed to be one of four muses, but the sculptor cut it short at one, and everybody claimed around town that was his mistress. Oh, wow. Um, but... Anyway, that you know, the whole reason I, you know, while that you know speech that I gave uh, for Pachacucha ended up being, you know, kind of humorous and fun. You know, there's the, the truth of it is I think that that's an amazing, you know, object of history that tells this really complex uh, story, and it couldn't be, you know, a more boring looking thing. It's just right, you just know, a finger. Right. Yeah. And I mean, w with regards to that, uh, having known you for a little while before seeing that, I never really. Uh, it was unexpected for me to see you uh, uh, performing in that way. Is that something that you have history with, or was that something that you... I mean, I know Leela was nervous as heck before you were going up on stage. Were you equally as as, as anxious I, and nervous? I, and did, I did have a, a debate background. Uh, you and, did? Okay. And specifically uh, in extemporaneous speech, and actually went to the national championships for extemporaneous speech. Ah, okay. That makes more sense. Which, right. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah. For, if anybody's yeah. unfamiliar with how extemp worked, uh, it, I assume it still works, uh, you would go pick uh, three topics and you chose what you had like a minute to decide which one you wanted and you had 30 minutes to write a five minute speech okay and, uh, all right actually I had a flashback and how many people are, are doing this at the same time so how many five minute speeches will you go through it's uh, you know, oh it's you just you just get in a line and there's judges oh, and yeah. then each round you do it like three or four times okay. you know at a match and you know you keep going up until there's like you know four of you I left. can imagine you'd be pretty good at that yeah well, and there, there was, you know, it started to get a little formulaic, and it was funny when oh. you were talking about quotes, because that was the first thing I did when I chose mine was go to Bartlett's, because, uh, you know, you were always in a library, and go to Bartlett's quotes, because, you know, the, oh, yeah. I think you, if you lead off with a good quote, uh, it makes it all flow a little easier. Yeah, right. Well, I just want to say thanks for uh, for spending the afternoon with us and having a conversation, and uh, uh, enjoyed Enjoyed chatting with you. Oh, thank y'all for having me here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Appreciate you sharing some stories, right. and uh, always good to spend time. Before we go, yeah. Speaking of quotes, will you read us that uh, particular quote that you love so much? Yeah, Maria Popova. Now she's a a, a blogger. Yeah, she she's a That's blogger her writer. Uh, yeah, but I, I just discovered actually through Leela the. Uh, uh, a podcast called On Being, I think oh, it's yeah. Krista Tippett, I think is her name, um, and she she had, you know, these really powerful, long discussions with people, and I was just blown away by this woman, so I started researching a lot, and I thought that, you know, that within the 
um, the context of the you know the the recent um, uh, the, sorry with, yeah. uh, within the context of the of the recent flag battle. I was really impressed by some of the people that did come out and I felt like genuinely and honestly changed their minds about things. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, we become so calcified and entrenched in, in our in our being and especially politics. It was amazing to see some people, you know, really find change. Truly. And yeah. which led me to find her quote when I was reading through it, which uh, she says, allow yourself the uncomfortable luxury of changing mind. Cultivate that capacity for negative capability. We live in a culture where one of the greatest social disgraces is not having an opinion. So we often form our opinions based on superficial impressions or the borrowed ideas of others without investing the time and the thought that cultivating true conviction necessitates. We then go ahead, go around asserting these donned opinions and clinging to them as anchors to our, uh, to our own reality. It's enormously disorienting to simply say, I don't know but it is infinitely more rewarding to understand than to be right, even if it, that means changing your mind on a topic, an ideology, or above all, yourself. Yeah, it's wonderful. And I, it's interesting because that's been my working answer this entire year, 2015, when people ask me, what am I doing now? I just say, I don't know. <laughs> and and it's great because she says... It went from retired to I don't yeah, know. Right? I thought you were going to say changing your mind. <laughs> no, no. And it hasn't been... Uh, the reason why I don't know might be a little disorienting. You had a big 2014, too. I did have a big 2014. But honestly, it's been really liberating to say it rather than, as she, as she says, you know, disorienting to say, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've actually really enjoyed it. Like, I don't know. It's just a, it's, it's, it's the truth, first of all. And it's been really liberating just to not have to come up with some other answer because it's just it is what it is. And, and I don't know is, is good enough for me. <laughs> So clearly we're doing a radio show. Yeah. Right. That's one thing that I do know. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, thanks for being here, Buck. All right. Appreciate well, thanks it. for having me, and thanks for trying. Cheers. Bye-bye.
wow, what a great way to uh, kick off our own call to adventure on this radio show, huh? Yeah, whenever you can have a guest that uh, has archaeology, gay and lesbian exhibit, extemporaneous debate, and Rod Stewart all tied into one, well, you know, you've got Buff Ross, right? You've got something interesting to listen uh, to. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, just wanted to say thank you to Ohm Radio for allowing us this opportunity. And for anybody who's interested, we heard some of Buff's favorite music today, and that was J.J. Uh, Kale singing Things Ain't Simple, Paul Birch and Isolde, and we closed it out with Rod Stewart singing I'm Losing You. Yeah, thanks for spending uh, an hour of your time with us. Look forward to next time. Thanks for helping us make uh, our own call to adventure. Cheers. Cheers. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. 